come before You on Thursday night. And Lord, we're looking at Your Word and we just ask that You would encourage us from it even though the theme of the book is of judgment and sin, yet there is, Lord, the promise that if we will come to You, You will receive us again. Lord, we just thank and praise You for Your goodness in Your Word. And ask that you would encourage us in our service for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated, if you would. And we're going to the book of Hosea tonight. And of course, Hosea is um, one of the most difficult uh, of the minor prophets to get through. It's also the longest uh, of the minor prophets and we're not definitely not going to cover everything. We're going to try to get through all 14 chapters uh, before 8.30 tonight, uh, which means we're going to have to move uh, very quickly. Uh, Hosea's ministry, uh, it tells us here in verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. And so, we have uh, a period of time. Some have said that Hosea prophesied as many as 80 years, but certainly over 50, uh, somewhere in that neighborhood of 50 to 70 years of ministry. And Hosea's ministry was a sad one. Uh, He was chosen of God and given some direction. His family life, his marriage, and his children were living pictures or living illustrations of God's love for Israel. The time, the problem is, Israel was in its darkest hours. The nation of Israel, the ten northern tribes, was in their last days uh, once uh, Jeroboam had ended his, his reign. Jeroboam's son only sat on the, the throne uh, a few months and then began the last decade of Israel's history before they were carried away in captivity of just one king killing another, killing another. And we've been through that in Sunday school. And uh, we're not going to cover all the details that, that are here, but God gives Hosea one of the most unusual commands in all the Bible. In verse 2, it says, "...the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go." Take thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of uh, Diblaim, which conceived and bare him a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel, for yet a little while... And I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it will come to pass at that day that I will break the bow bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bare a daughter. And God said unto him, 
Call her name Lo Ruhamah, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah and will save them by the Lord their God and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. Now when she had weaned Lo Ruhamah, she conceived and bare a son. Then said God, Call his name Loami, for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. And so here is Hosea's family life. How would you like to see one of Hosea's children walking by? I mean, uh, today this would be uh, similar uh, to one of uh, a preacher, a, a true Bible-believing preacher marrying some famous Hollywood personality who was just, uh, I, I don't know, you date yourself. Uh, uh, the worst one I can think of is like Elizabeth Taylor or something along those lines. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Uh, one husband after another, after another, after another. That was... The history, the, the child of whoredoms, and you have to remember the prophet, the law in Deuteronomy chapter 23 said an illegitimate child, a child that was not born properly, was not allowed to be a part of Israel. Not until their tenth generation, not forever. And uh, unlike our, our modern day, uh, if your parents aren't married when you're born, they still put all the names on the birth certificate. It really doesn't matter anymore. Uh, in those days, it mattered. It was important. And so, uh, it wasn't that Hosea was to go and take a wife who was committing evil. He was to take a wife who was not part of Israel, who was separated from Israel. One of the, it would be, a uh, very similar situation to what happened with Rahab. Even though she was committing a, a, adultery and all of these wicked things she was doing before she became part of Israel, and uh, it would be one of those children that was born and cast out of Israel. And later on, Hosea, uh, Hosea would have to go to the slave market and literally purchase his wife. Uh, because she uh, was a uh, not part of Israel. She would have no say over her life, no means of income, no means of any part that was anything good, and, and her life was destroyed. And Hosea would show up there at the slave market and purchase his wife. I mean, this, this is a horrible story. And... Scandalous, we might say. And how in the world did this happen? And people would talk about Hosea. And they would say, Hosea, why is your life, why, why didn't you do the things that a real prophet ought to do and go and, and find a good wife and, and raise your children the way that they ought to be? And Hosea would then say, because this is what our nation has done. This is the way you are living. And my family is an illustration 
of the wickedness and the relationship and how you treat God. There are so many things in the book of Hosea. But I don't really want to go phrase by phrase and verse by verse through the book of Hosea because it's just a horrible history. His children, his son Jezreel, because in just a few years, the armies of Assyria would come into the valley of Jezreel and literally depopulate the entire ten tribes of Israel. They would take them captive. They would lead them in chains. Uh, The Assyrians had uh, a very special way that they treated prisoners. They actually had fish hooks on chains, and they hooked up people just like you do uh, a stringer of fish and dragged them out of the land uh, where they were going and put them in another land. And it was... These things were going on during the ministry of Hosea. And people would see his son Jezreel and say, Oh yeah, all of that judgment that God poured out. And anytime they talked to his oldest daughter, her name just simply meant no mercy. Now once in a while you'll meet someone that named their child mercy. Uh, Peter named his little girl Chloe Faith. Uh, but you wouldn't call your child faithless now, would you? Or merciless. That's, that was really what her name was. What's your name? Merciless. Why? Well, my dad's a preacher. And he named me this because of God's judgment on Israel. God will not have mercy on Israel. And then his youngest daughter was low in me or not my people because God would remove Israel from their land. There is no promise of bringing them back. And of course, we've talked about this with some of the other prophets. Everybody has tried to find the ten lost tribes of Israel, uh, the best understanding we can find from history and from what the Bible says. Hosea, if we touch on the verses in here, in Hosea's prophecy that they shall wander among the nations. And that's what happened. They were just simply assimilated into the heathen nations of the world. And when, by the way, they stopped being Israel. They stopped worshiping God. They left every, every token, every tradition, every idea that they ever cared about the God of Israel behind them. Those were the times of Hosea. And Hosea, we, we say, was a picture of God's love. Because in spite of the fact that Hosea's wife had no heritage, no part of Israel, in spite of the fact that he had literally purchased her in the slave market, Hosea was faithful to her. And Hosea was faithful to his family as God commands to be in the Bible. And it is a picture. And I want you to look with me. And what we're going to do for the rest of our time tonight is we're just going to kind of skim through... 
and pick out some of the verses and things that you will hear often quoted. How many of you have ever heard the term uh, a hedge of thorns? That, that their pathway was like a hedge of thorns. Well, that comes from the book of Hosea. Look at chapter 2, verse 6. It says, Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall that she cannot find her paths. If you've ever allowed sin in your life, if you've ever backslidden, and you'll find that word in the book of Hosea many times, You'll find out one thing as a Christian when you backslide from the Lord. It's hard to sin. And that's what this passage is talking about. God says, listen, I'm just going to allow the thorns in. I'm going to close in on you that you cannot find the way. The most miserable person alive today is a Christian who's not serving God. Now, if you find a Christian who is not miserable living in the world and they're having a great time. I remember meeting a fellow one time. I think I've told the story. I was my first week in Springfield, Missouri, and uh, I was going out knocking doors and and, uh, this thing that looked like it was left over from the Mod Squad. If you remember that old stupid TV show from the 70s. And just open the door and he says, I'll bet you're a BBC student, aren't you? And then just literally blew a full blast of smoke in my face. He said, I used to be a student there too, but I'm having the good life now. And I'm sitting there, standing there at his door going, you know what? That good life's going to be over someday, my friend. It's going to end. You you think it's a good life, but what you're doing is you're giving testimony to the fact that you never knew the Lord. Because if you do, if you know the Lord, and we could have different people uh, give many testimonies. One person said, no matter how far I go, I keep coming back here. I don't understand it. I, I do. It's called a pathway of thorns that God puts in your way to bring you back where he wants you to be. Amen. And this is part of God's mercy in judgment. You wonder why you're so miserable when you allow sin into your life. It's because God is in the business of bringing people back. And you read chapter 2 here. And uh, let's just pick up a few verses. In verse 16, or let's let's get verse uh, 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. And bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. This is God speaking to Israel through Hosea. And I will give her vineyards from thence and the valley of Achor for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she come up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, thou shalt call me Ishi and shalt call me no more Bailey. And for I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by their name. And in that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, and with the fowls of heaven, with the creeping things of the ground. For I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth, and will make them lie down safely. And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee 
unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. And we could read on, but what great promises there. Now, how many of you remember the Valley of Achor? Does anybody remember what happened there? There was a fellow named Achan. And Achan had committed trespass against the Lord in the battle of Jericho. For he had taken the possessions, the treasures, the spoil. And of course, that's a whole other sermon. But what in the world was Achan going to do with a Babylonian garment? Have you ever thought about that? His family knew he had these things. But he couldn't spend the gold because everybody would know where it came from. He couldn't spend the silver. What was he going to do? Put the Babylonian garment on and dance around in front of his kids and say, hey, this is what people in Babylon look like, and then hide it back in the earth underneath his tent. Well, it wasn't there very long. You see, if you want God's mercy... You've got to put away sin. And that's what God was telling them. The valley of Achor. When you as a nation will put away sin, God is going to open a door of hope. And I'll tell you, if you, you want to pray something for this country, that's, that's what you ought to pray for. I mean, you re, I've been reading through the book of Hosea for the last two weeks. And boy, I'll tell you what, it is a depressing book to read. And yet, in the book are these promises. Deal with sin. And God will open a door of hope. God wants to have fellowship with us. Chapter 3 is the story of, of the purchase of his wife. And the Bible says in verse 4 that the picture of this was that the children of Israel should abide many days without a king and without a prince. And without a sacrifice, that they are going to lose everything that they have to identify them as a people. But yet God is going to bring them back. And we get to chapters 4 and chapter 5. Let's just start, read a few verses here in chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. Because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood toucheth blood. I was in the doctor's office uh, this week and I saw a National Geographic there and I picked it up and it said, Attacking Science. Now, from National Geographic, I knew this was going to be a great article. And uh, how, how how is people attacking science? Well, did you know that three out of four people believe that man did not really evolve from apes? I don't know about you, but that's good news to me. That a majority of people still believe, in spite of all the things that have been taught about evolution, and of course they had a picture 
uh, of the Skokes Monkey Trial in 1925, where evolution was put on trial in the state of Tennessee, and uh, because of a very clever, wicked lawyer and foolish people who were trusting in their oratory, the case was lost in the court. But I'm not attacking science by telling you that we were created in the image of God because every scientific fact agrees with divine creation. Did you know that a majority of people still do not believe that global warming is caused by the burning of fossil fuels and human activity? I'll tell you what, National Geographic was mourning. I'm going, hey, I kind of like this article. (laughs) People aren't as stupid as National Geographic thinks we are. Amen? And um, and so let me see what what was the other one? It was uh, it was attacking evolution and attacking global warming, and uh, maybe there was one or two other things. Oh, and it was man had never gone to the moon. Now, of course, you got to get the tinfoil hat crowd into the conversation uh, because it makes everybody else look bad. Amen. And uh, the the scholarship and the writing of that article was something that uh, I would have gotten kicked out of college for writing a paper like that uh, because it had no proof, no evidence at all, no logic to it whatsoever. But that's where the world is in which we live. By the way, it's not anything new. It was the world that Hosea lived in. Could you imagine 50 years of preaching? Sorrow and suffering and watching your children and your family history and your own personal testimony defaced and debased by all the things that were going on around us. And we go into chapter 5. Hear this, ye priests, and hearken, ye house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, for judgment is toward you, because you have been a snare on Mizpah and a net spread on Tabor, and the revolters are prof- are profound to make slaughter, though I have been a rebuker of them all. Verse 13, When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah saw his wound, then went Ephraim to the Assyrian and sent to King Jerob, yet could not he heal you nor cure you. Of your wound. You know, one of the things, one of the signs of of wicked times is when people go to the wrong place for help. Chapter 6, the prophet pleads, Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten and he will bind up. You know, What is the first thing we do when we mess up in our lives? I better not go to church. I did bad this week. You know what? That is the worst thing you can do. Where else are you going to get help? 
If you have done wrong and God has brought judgment in your life, come back to church and start the process of putting things back together again. Amen? And we go down to verse 6, and here's what uh, uh, God said. He said, Therefore have I hewed them by the prophets, and I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and thy judgments are as light that goeth forth. And so... We look here and and we go to chapter 7. Now read with me verse 1. When I would have healed Israel, then the iniquity of Ephraim was discovered and the wickedness of Samaria. For they commit falsehood and the thief cometh in and the troop of robbers spoileth without. And they consider not in their hearts that I remember all their wickednesses. Now their own doings have beset them, beset them about, and they, I'm sorry, they are before my face. They make the king glad with their wickedness, and the princes with their lies. Now, I'll tell you what, if that doesn't describe what's going on in our government today, I don't know what does. People were happy when they hear the lies, and they believe these things, and they actually, uh, I don't know if you heard our, our mayor's assessment of his mayordom. He says, I've done something very special in New York City. Uh, that's, what he, that's what he believes about him. In, uh, I like what the commentator said that I heard talking about it today. He said, most of us are just going, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. And yet the mayor, he believes that he has accomplished something very special. And uh, that, that is a scary time when you believe your own press reports, when, when you believe what you think about yourself. And when God would heal, at that moment, that's what he said, when I'd healed, he said, I came down. And I tried to heal, and what I found was the case was terminal. You know, sometimes when someone will ignore the symptoms and ignore the disease, and finally they'll go to the doctor and say, Doctor, I'm so sick, uh, can you help me? And the doctor says, I believe we can do this. And, and they begin running tests and, and, and they said, finally we're going to need to do a surgery here, but we think we can get the whatever, stop the cancer or whatever the disease is that's spreading. And then they actually see and understand what's going on. They say, there's nothing we can do. That's what God told Ephraim, that it is a terminal uh, case. And we go to chapter 8, and it says, Set the trumpet to thy mouth, and goes on here, and, uh, uh, and God says, Listen, you can do all you want to do, but it's not going to do you any good. In chapter 9, probably the saddest chapter here as we go through, but this chapter, it says, Rejoice not. And if you read the whole chapter, it, it just simply says that God is going to take away their joy and God is going to take away the people. Now, let's come down here in 
chapter 10, it says, All is lost. Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself according to the multitude of his fruit. He hath increased the altars. And it talks about uh, all of their wickedness. But let's skip down to verse 12. And this is another one of those famous uh, verses in the book of, of uh, Hosea. Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Now, the next two verses, next three verses as he ends the chapter is going to say, but you won't do that. But there is, there is the solution right there. He says to sow in righteousness, reap in mercy. Now, uh, I have preached uh, on, on this verse in particular, and and uh, actually Julia has written a song. Our ladies have sung it, Break Up Your Fallow Ground. Fallow ground is good earth. If you've ever driven out in the country, uh, sometimes in the middle of the summer, how many of you have driven like through central Pennsylvania and you see those uh, uh, fields where the corn is grown way up and, you know, midsummer, end of July, 1st of August, the corn ought to be over six foot tall. I mean, you could get lost in a cornfield. And then you see fields where the stalks from last year's corn is just rotten in the field. That's fallow ground. It's a good ground. It's feet, it's ground that will produce, and, and uh, uh, I, I still don't get it, but our government is still paying farmers not to plant fields. I mean, we have people all over the world that are going hungry today. Let me tell you, it's not because we can't feed them. Uh, you talk to anybody from Kansas, they'll tell you we could grow enough wheat in Kansas to feed the entire world. And I have no questions about that. And they could grow the corn in Iowa. And let me tell you, all over this country, we, we have fallow ground. It's good earth that's not being used. You know, there's, there's something for you to hold on to. Something for you to grab a hold of. Let's, let's ask God to work in our heart. To break up that fallow ground. To, to plant in righteousness and I don't know if you've ever had this scenario laying in your life, and I just feel like we need to take a moment and go through it because it happens to a lot of people. You get saved. But before you got saved, you were doing some things that were wrong. Or sometimes after you're saved. There's a time in your life where you're planting things in the field of your life that are not going to bring forth fruits unto righteousness. Then you get under conviction and you come back and you repent and you try to start sowing the righteousness and a bunch of bad stuff happens to you. And you feel like you're being punished for trying to do good. Now, has anybody ever had that happen? Well, it's the law of reaping and sowing, my friend. You forget while you're breaking up the fallow ground and putting in the good seed 
the bad seed that's already been planted is still going to come to harvest. And that's when you need the most faith in God to keep doing what's right because eventually that good harvest will start coming in on a regular basis. But you've got to stay faithful. You can't go back. What most people, where the devil loves to put a person, is they do a little good, and then the bad things come in, they take a step back, and they do more bad things. Well, it's just going to keep coming in to continually whack you when you least expect it, and you just feel like you can't get going anywhere. Now, look at chapter 1, verse 11, chapter 11, verse 1. It says, when Israel was a child, then I loved him. And called my son out of Egypt. How many people are thinking of Matthew chapter 2? Because this is the prophecy that Matthew quoted when uh, God appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Herod's dead and now you can take the young child Jesus and his mother and go back to the land of Egypt, and the prophecy was fulfilled. Out of Egypt I have called my son. Uh, Was this also talking about the fact that out of Egypt and through the Red Sea, God had brought his nation Israel? Yes. But the Bible also tells us this is a prophecy concerning the life of Jesus, one of the prophecies he fulfilled during his lifetime here. And even in the darkness of, of the prophecy of Hosea, we have a prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. And then we have, um, and we, we've skipped over things that we could talk about all night, but I don't want to uh, uh, necessarily go back and, and get them here. But chapters 12 and 13 talks about God's punishment against Israel. And how that he is just going to destroy them for their sin. But let's go to chapter 14. And God's promise in the spite of all of this darkness and all of this evil. And and what God was uh, saying, we often uh, say that, you know, well, you're exaggerating. You're, You're painting with a broad brush. Uh, you're just making everybody exactly the same. And no, God doesn't paint with a broad brush. God doesn't exaggerate things unless he's trying to illustrate something. But when he's stating the wickedness of the people, it was endemic. There was just a handful of people. When you talk about the entire nation of Israel and Judah that were brought through the captivity, and brought back into the land of Israel at the book, the history as it begins in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Hosea, he's long gone uh, when all of those things happen. He dies before uh, the Babylonians destroy the city of Jerusalem. But look at chapter 14. O Israel... Return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thy iniquity. Take with you words and turn to the Lord. Say unto him, 
Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. So will we render the calves of our lips. Asher or Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses. Neither will we say any more to the work of our hands. Ye are our gods. For in thee the fatherness findeth mercy. Now Hosea is giving them the words to pray. He's saying, stop trusting in anything but God. You know, that's, that is the answer. Jesus put it this way. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Don't say that you have strength. God's not looking for what you have. He is looking for what He can give you. Amen? And we look here in verse 4, God then answers, I will heal their backsliding and I will love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from him. I will be as the dew unto Israel, and he shall grow as the lily and cast forth his roots as Lebanon. His branches shall spread and his beauty shall be as the olive tree and his smell as Lebanon. They that dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall revive as corn. They shall grow as the vine. The scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, What have I to do any more with idols? I have heard him and observed him. I am like a green fir tree. From me is thy fruit found. Who is wise? And he shall understand these things. Prudent, and he shall know them, for the ways of the Lord are right, and the just shall walk in them, but transgressors shall fall therein. And the end of Hosea's prophecy. Do you get what he says right there at the end? He said, if you're wise, you're going to understand that the only help you have is God. And that God has to change your heart. He says, but the transgressors are going to fall in the very same path that the repentant sinner finds God's blessing and righteousness. I think, and, I, and uh, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I, I believe in, in this day and time we have more people talking about Jesus than ever before. But fewer people are saved. We have more people talking about praising Jesus and less worship than has ever happened before. Now, we cannot solve all the problems out there. But what we need to do is make sure that fallow ground is getting tilled up so the Lord can use it. Amen? What, what we need to remember is that these people who choose these things are putting themselves under the judgment of God. You know, they're, they're making a, a big deal about this shooting in Texas where they had the Muhammad 
cartoon contest and two guys showed up and were going to shoot up the cartoon artist in protest against Allah. And, uh, of course, they didn't make it inside. Um, And uh, we don't glory in that, but the simple truth of the matter is these people will do absolutely anything to protect the lie. When they curse the Lord Jesus Christ, why don't we go out there and do things to try to protect Jesus? You know why? Because he protects me. I don't need to protect him. Peter solved that problem in the garden, remember? You see, we know that those who curse Jesus and take his name and try to do all of this deviant art and and just simply provoke us to despair, we understand what their end is. That's what Hosea tells us. I'm not angry. I feel pity. Amen? Amen. And I understand one thing. That that same God that judges them is still going to judge me. i got a lot of work to do. How about you? Uh, If we can learn anything from Hosea, God will go to any degree to bring his people back. Let's just make sure we're back. Amen? And as God gives us opportunity, let's take others with us. Don't despair. Don't worry about all the progress that wicked people have made. God's still in charge. It is a sad day. It is a dark day in our history. As Americans, as citizens of the world, it's a dark day. But don't forget to sow in righteousness and reap in mercy and to keep tilling up that ground and putting the good seed in because God is still wanting to use us to serve him in these last days. The prophecy of Hosea. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for getting us through this book. And Lord, the details and the sword activities of, the, of your people. And Lord, your great judgment prophesied against them. The Lord, help us remember that you are waiting for us to come back to you. And you will change our hearts and you will draw us close and you will give us strength as long as we stop relying on our own and trust fully in you. Help us, Lord, to put our backs to the labor and turn over that fallow ground and make sure that we continually put in that seed of righteousness that we can reap in mercy even as we see great destruction in all the world around us. We thank you for your love and the promises in your word. 
In your name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, we'll just have our heads bowed and the piano can play. And if you'd like to slip out and just spend a few moments with the Lord, you may. And then our service will be over.